We love our partnership with Howard Community College. It dates back to prior to EcoWorks and the founding of the Ready program. I, I feel that the college is an excellent model of sustainability in our region. Um, and we love that the college supports direct research on campus and hope that we can do more of that in the coming years. I think there's always room to reduce more grass cover and I'm pretty sure you agree with me, Bob, but we can always, there's always an opportunity to convert more grass to native conservation landscapes that will support our local pollinators and wildlife. Hello, and welcome to Green Dragon, a podcast where we talk about green initiatives in Maryland, Howard County, and Howard Community College. We share ideas and ways for you to be more sustainable at home. I'm Bob Marietta, HCC's Environmental Health and Safety Supervisor, and I thank you for watching today. My guest today is Lori Lilly, Founder and Executive Director at Howard EcoWorks. So Lori, tell us please, what, what was it that brought you to Maryland and the Howard County in particular? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on this podcast, Bob. I am from Pennsylvania and I met my husband in California um, in an AmeriCorps program. And we fell in love with Oregon when we were in AmeriCorps. So when we got married and had an opportunity to move back there, we did. But we ended up missing our family. So looking to get back to Maryland, I found a job with the Center for Watershed Protection, which is based out of Ellicott City, or it used to be when I worked there. So that's what brought us back to Maryland and to Howard County. What was it that first got you interested in, in conservation and, and working in the environment? Well, I think I was one of the lucky ones to kind of figure out my career pathway early on. I've always cared for animals and wildlife ever since I was a little kid. Um, I helped start an environmental club when I was in high school and ran that my senior year. And when I went to college, I, you know, I was already on a, an environmental career pathway and I really only waffled between a degree between marine sciences and environmental sciences before I settled on a degree in natural resource management and ecology. And I really love ecology. I love connections and just ecosystems in general. And so yeah, I would say, you know, I've always been on that path and I've stayed there. So I'm, I'm pretty blessed in that way. So if a young person is interested in an environmental career, what paths do you suggest that they follow? I think there's great opportunity in volunteering with different organizations as a great way to kind of get your feet wet and see what's out there. Internships are also, of course, a great option. I've done many internships myself to get my career started, both paid and unpaid. And I've found value in working with different types of entities to see how they work, like from nonprofit sector to government, federal government, local government, private sector. I think it's worthwhile to kind of explore those different options and see where your heart lies. I'm also a big fan of community service. Um, as I mentioned, my AmeriCorps service I found invaluable. And now we have some really great options that are coming available to people through Maryland Corps and Governor Westmore's recent initiative that's just getting started this year. And President Biden has announced his new Climate Corps initiative. So I think these service opportunities are going to be really valuable for people that might be interested in exploring environmental career pathways. I think you're so right. There's so many more opportunities now for young people to follow. Hopefully mm -hmm. they'll take advantage of that. So in all the organizations you work with and your varied background, what was it in your background that prepared you to start an organization like EcoWorks? My number one internal driver is my passion for the environment and making change in my community. 
So I think that internal fuel has really been, you know, part of what enabled me to start EcoWorks. It was hard to start the organization and I needed that fuel to be able to get through kind of the early years of the company. I also have a strong entrepreneurial spirit from my dad who has started multiple companies. I'd say I'm a little bit more successful than he was. I also, before I started EcoWorks, I had a private consulting firm that was just myself. I did environmental consulting on my own. And so that enabled me to get some experience with running a business, though EcoWorks is very much different because it's there's so much more involved than just being a, a solo entrepreneur. Also, I would say having a strong network has always been beneficial in my career, especially when I left the Center for Watership Protection and started going out on my own. Having that solid network really helped me to find new projects and to get business going. And lastly, we have a really strong relationship with Howard County government and starting EcoWorks would not have been possible without the support that we had from them, as well as the Alliance for the Chesapeake Bay. They were really instrumental in helping us to get EcoWorks started. I know I was very fortunate to be involved with you in the early days, and I was mm -hmm. glad that the college could be supportive as well. And it, it continues to be really see the value Absolutely. in what you're doing. So how do you explain the mission of EcoWorks, particularly to young adults, the people that you're hiring and teaching and training to do the work of EcoWorks? Well, our, our mission is to empower communities and diverse workforces to respect and restore our natural systems for future generations. Um, and I usually talk about that as the nexus of workforce development and environmental restoration and conservation. Our true driver is around environmental restoration and sustainability with our green jobs program being the kind of how that enables that work to happen. Our work looks a bit like landscaping, but we um, are truly focused on environmental sustainability at our core and it really aim to expose our program participants to a variety of career pathways that are available through the programming and the work that we do. So while we may be out in the field um, building a rain garden, we can also expose our program participants to different opportunities that are available by like bringing industry professionals by or taking them out to other types of sites where they can be exposed to the various career pathways that are available to them. So what steps did you have to take to actually get the organization started? What were the nuts and bolts, you know, the paperwork, you know, what did it take to actually get you up and going? As I mentioned, it was it was not an easy task. We had a founding board of which you, Bob, were one of our, our founding board members. So we needed to have a nonprofit organization needs to have a board as part of the governance of the organization. We had a small grant that enabled us to do kind of the legal parts of getting established as a company and a nonprofit. And that took maybe a year and a half of time to get all of that sorted with the IRS. As I mentioned, there was work with the Alliance for the Chesapeake Bay. Howard EcoWorks, actually, there's a program called the Ready Program, Restoring the Environment and Developing Youth that predates Howard EcoWorks. And that program was part of the Alliance for the Chesapeake Bay, funded by Howard County government, but we wanted it to be locally housed and kind of nested within Howard County itself um, and supported. And so we had to do a lot of, after we founded the organization, moved 
like funds over from the Alliance for Chesapeake Bay to Howard EcoWorks in order to get us started. And as I mentioned, that relationship with Howard County government was really instrumental in um, getting the organization started. So they needed to support the founding of EcoWorks and initially seeding us money in order to get the company going. So it, it was a lot of a lot of work and took many years, but we made it. So then we had a pandemic, which kind of put everything into a into a whirlwind, but we navigated that as well. Were there any organizations that helped you with the organizational part of getting started? Yeah, we had um, a group called the River Network that helped us with getting the board of directors established and kind of setting up the terms that the board would then end up following. And a group called the Foundation Group was the one that helped us to get our Articles of Incorporation and our IRS tax-exempt status, plus Maryland charitable contribution status established. Did you expect it was going to be that much work to get that part of it taken care of? I know it's not your no. first love of being out in the woods, but uh, no, you, per- no, you persevered. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a tree hugger and had to learn a lot about business and finance and accounting and HR, which, yeah, I, I was maybe not exactly prepared for. It was a lot of figuring things out and pretty much constant figuring things out in the early years of Howard EcoWorks. And look where you are now. I think we could all say it was it was worth it. It was a success. You know, we're all we're all yes. proud of where, where you are at this point. Yes. So absolutely. now I know EchoWorks does a lot of work for Howard County on their resilience projects for Ellicott City flooding in particular. But what can you share with us about your work with Howard County in the Ellicott City flooding area? Our work is for that is mostly focused around the safe and sound plan, which is County Executive Ball's plan for Ellicott City. We in particular are focused on weather related events of high winds and heavy rains that might trigger a safe and sound event. Uh, We actually just had one over the weekend and are in the middle of responding to that event, That all that rain that we just had. When those events are triggered, our teams go out and do inspections within three business days of 56 different points around the county uh, looking for potential debris blockages. And then we have 14 days, business days, to either clear that material ourselves or to have the Howard County Department of Highways do the clearing. All of this is a result of actually the 2011 flood where debris blockages were found to be one of the main contributing factors to flooding in Ellicott City. And we started a debris management program um, intended to be more proactive and maintenance level at that time. We cleared out the streams after they hadn't been touched for you know hundreds of years had our crews out there clearing out the channels and removing debris and bulk trash. And then it turned into kind of a response plan after the 2016 flood. Our crews were one of the first to get into the streams and start clearing out the channels. And so since then, it's kind of evolved into this more of a a response to certain wind and rain events. Um, And it's expanded beyond just Ellicott City. It's countywide at high-risk culverts and constriction points around the county. So that's that's our role in the Safe and Sound plan. From your perspective, how do you think the entire Safe and Sound program is going? I know they've got the uh, storage area and the tunnel. What do you see from your end? I think it's 
I mean, I guess we'll see where the implementation actually goes in terms of the tunnel, but the large retention ponds that have been implemented, they, I think, are going to be critical. They have just finished the one at the 29 and 40 intersection that had been identified after the 2011 flood as one of the remediation actions. So that's finally in the ground. And then they've done it's called the Quaker Mill Pond off Rogers Avenue, which basically now intercepts a stream that it didn't before, and it's collecting a lot of water. And that's kind of a hot spot, that area of where Rogers Avenue meets Main Street. They've also done a lot of infrastructure improvements underground uh, there to help the water flow properly. So, you know, I think with those retention ponds and the debris management program and the alerts the sirens that go off when there's a potential for flood. I think all of those things are, are really great steps. Personally, I would like to see more flood proofing options. They did have a flood proofing grant that was available to business owners in downtown that I believe some of them took advantage of, but it would be great to see more of that kind of implementation happen um, and making the buildings and businesses more resilient to floods that we know are going to happen anyway. They can use different types of building materials and glass and doors that are either more resistant to floods or they allow the water to flow through in such a way that it creates less damage to the buildings. So, and, and I think also more community education around preparedness is is always a good idea and it kind of needs to be consistent. Like it's not something that you can do one time and it's done because people are always coming and going in the town. So I think that's an area where there could be more focus. What opportunities are there for people to find out more information about these things and to get more education? Well, with Howard EcoWorks, we have a monthly newsletter and we're pretty active on all of our social media channels. We try to post educational things in both of those areas. Uh, we have volunteer opportunities available to people. On Martin Luther King Day, we have a big watershed makeover event and we try to do cleanups and invasive species management all around the county and get people engaged in doing something on that day of service in support of environmental objectives. Those are some options. For people that want to do projects, maybe on their own property, we have, we typically start a project with an initial consultation with um, our landscape designer who would come out to the property and make some initial recommendations for how the site can be improved with sustainability and the environment at the forefront of the work, that would be the main objective. So that's typically how we start engaging on private properties. And I know you're going to have an exhibit table at Howard County's upcoming Sustainability Day at the Fall for All. Uh, yes. So people could stop yeah. by there and get more information. That's October 20th from 11 to 2. And the college is having a uh, campus-wide Fall for All activity. Uh, the public schools mm -hmm. are closed that day. So we're hoping lots of families will take advantage of that and come out and learn lots more about the environment and about what's going on at the community college. So Lori, yes. what sort of other projects is EcoWorks working on these days? Uh, we have a lot going on this fall. We're building a couple different rain gardens, one at the Clock Tower neighborhood in Columbia, where we also have built, well, we spent the, enti uh, the entire summer building a rain garden and a conservation landscape. We had one crew pretty much out there, and then we're going to do some tree planting this fall. Uh, we have a rain garden currently being installed at the Deering Woods community. In, it's also in Columbia, right, right near the college, actually. Uh, we build a number of rain gardens at, with that community. 
We're partnered with the Community Ecology Institute to support a stormwater pond retrofit at Athleton High School. And we have volunteers that are going to be coming out to do planting um, within the next week or so. We also, we have a large focus generally for the past year and then in the upcoming year to year and a half to build conservation landscapes and install native tree plantings in urban and underserved areas of the Baltimore region. We have got a number of grants to support implementation in those vulnerable areas to bring environmental initiatives into those communities. And the last thing that I wanted to mention is that we have a new, we're going to be on a production called Kill Your Lawn. Um, This fall, we're doing, in October, we're doing a project at St. Peter's Episcopal. And this is a a production, I think it will be aired on maybe YouTube, but I need to check. There's going to be a kill day and then a reveal day. It's kind of, you know, very production oriented. For example, they've done a creative kill of a lawn that was like a big mushroom cloud and they've used fire. And so it's pretty, pretty fun and a great way to kind of expose people to the problems with lawns and compacted landscapes and how we can make them more functional with um, conservation landscapes. And the host, uh, his name is Joey Santori. He's a very funny guy and he kind of brings a lot of comedic aspects to that whole ecological problem. So that's going to be pretty cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. So how can Mm -hmm. people find out more about what you do and also how they can get you to work on their own projects? Um, well, I mentioned this before, but, you know, f- following us on social media, subscribing to our newsletter, and then really for the private properties, it's it's starting with a consultation. Um, in addition to the landscape design consultations, we also, also have a tree health assessment. So our, we have an arborist on staff and he can come out to look at people and advise them on their trees, which I think is a great service for people. We've had a lot of receptivity. We're not selling anything with that service. It's purely educational and it can help a landowner, a property owner know whether they need to invest in a tree company to come out and do, which can be quite expensive to come out and do work on their trees. So uh, that's a service that that we offer that we're pretty proud of and has, has had a lot of interest. So I know you're working on uh, some research into other areas of sustainability and sustainable practices. Can you tell us a little more about what you're doing there? Sure. So we're very interested in both woodland management as a sustainable practice and the utilization of biochar as a soil amendment. We feel that our forests have been badly neglected. And while we do support and do ourselves a lot of tree planting, we feel that we need a lot more focus on the assets that we already have, which is our existing forests. And for biochar amendment, biochar is actually an organic-based charcoal that's converting any type of organic waste to a charcoal soil amendment that is super absorbent and is able to filter water of pollutants such as heavy metals and bacteria and nitrogen, while also reducing runoff and sequestering carbon in the ground. So this practice is actually an ancient technology that goes back to Amazonian practices of agriculture that has kind of come at the forefront recently, mostly around stormwater management because it has is showing great potential to reduce runoff and filter pollutants. So with the Chesapeake Bay, there's a lot of interest in using biochar soil amendment. It's actually right now in front of the Chesapeake Bay program for potential crediting to municipalities for their through their stormwater permits. 
Um, but it's also a climate mitigation strategy because of when you make the biochar, you basically inactivate the carbon. And then when you put it into the ground, it's stored there for very long periods of time. So it kind of addresses multiple environmental problems at the same time. Yeah, I know you're doing some work on the college campus as well as uh, experimenting for the University of Delaware on a project. Uh, so we're, mm-hmm. we're glad to be able to host those. Lori, mm-hmm. as, as more people become aware of the issues brought about by climate change, has the work they want you to do on their own properties, has that changed? I haven't really seen that the requests from the community have changed um, as a result of that I think we generally see more volume of requests and we see a greater geography, like a, a bigger radius of people around us that are reaching out to us for potential solutions. But I think that climate change has been more of an internal for Howard EcoWorks. Like we were trying to figure out how we can address climate change through the work that we're already doing, which has largely been focused on stormwater management. How can we integrate climate mitigation strategies into that work that we're already doing? And that primarily comes in the form of planting trees and managing our forests. But also we see that through the plantings that we do and wanting to completely focus on native plants to support biodiversity initiatives. And then also through the utilization of biochar in all of our projects, which, as I mentioned before, is also a climate mitigation strategy that we can use to store carbon in the ground while addressing stormwater. Fascinating. EchoWorks has done a lot of work on the HCC campus over the years, and we expect you'll do a lot more in the future. But if it was up to you and your team, what would make our campus even more sustainable? Yes, we love our partnership with Howard Community College. It dates back to prior to EcoWorks and the founding of the READY program. I I feel that the college is an excellent model of sustainability in our region. um, And we love that the college supports direct research on campus and hope that we can do more of that in the coming years. I think there's always room to reduce more grass cover, and I'm pretty sure you agree with me, Bob, but we can always, there's always an opportunity to convert more grass to native conservation landscapes that will support our local pollinators and wildlife. Biochar, as I mentioned, biochar soil amendments are something that can be integrated in any, you know, type of landscape from turf grass to more managed landscapes to the sports fields. It's as a way that you can keep the use of those areas while also mitigating climate. There's also, I think, potential for more trees. We have done a lot of tree planting on the campus, but we can, we can always use more. And I think that the college could probably use a little bit more shade, especially along the trails and the walkways. And lastly, you know, maybe to be a real showcase of green infrastructure options, the college uh, might consider like more obvious practices like cisterns or green roofs or other things that are very visible and can have, you know, maybe more interaction in terms of the green roof with the students and the faculty on the campus. Great ideas. And some of which you're going to see happening. They're in the works right now. So we look forward to showing those off to you. Well, we have reached the end of our show. Thank you, Lori, for joining us today. Thank you, Bob. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be here. I'll be back next month with another guest and another sustainable topic. In the meantime, if you have ideas or comments, you can connect with me at rmarietta at howardcc.edu. You can listen to this and all of our other episodes at greendragonhcc.podbean.com. And you can also catch us on HCC TV and Howard Community College's YouTube page. Thank you for joining us today.
connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.